Thank you for downloading our podcast. Please be edified through this sermon from our pulpit supply while Pastor Paul Lindemulder enjoys a week off. Corrie ten Boom was a hero of the Dutch resistance in the Second World War. She lived under the reign of Hitler and she hid, or among other things, she hid Jewish people in a room behind her closet. And she wrote a book about her experiences of life under Hitler, and especially about enduring the horrors of Ravensbrück concentration camp. At the end of the movie, based upon her book, she had a moment to address the camera and to give what she felt the main takeaway of her story should be. And one of the things she said in the end was this, there is no pit where God's love for you is not deeper still. There's no pit where God's love is not deeper still. And the message of our text this evening is the exact same thing. Yahweh is the God of the bottomless pit. Yahweh is the God of Psalm 139, who overwhelms us with the goodness of this promise when things are going well. If I make my bed in Sheol, lo, you are there. But Yahweh is also the God of Psalm 88, who comforts us with this promise and sustains us with this promise when it's actually... And so as we look at our psalm tonight, the truth we need to see is this. Yahweh is the God of the bottomless pit. This psalm is a Christian cry, and our gracious, covenant-keeping, faithful Father has put this shapeless scream in his word. There's not a lot of structure to this text, but the reason he has put the shapeless scream in his word is to remind us that he cares for us in the pit. Yahweh is the God of providence who will turn to our prophet everything he sends us in this veil of tears. He desires to do this because he is a faithful father, and he is able to do it because he is almighty God. So we'll look at this in two points tonight. First, and this is the longer of the two, so don't get panicked when we get very into the sermon and I say point two. This is the longer point, is a wisdom cry. Secondly, a covenant cry. So the longer of the two, a wisdom cry. Secondly, a covenant cry. So first, this is a wisdom cry. And the title of our passage tonight is important. This is a Moscow of Haman the Ezraite. Now we cannot confuse him with He-Man, the Mattel toy action figure. Who is Haman the Ezraite? Well, 1 Kings 4.31 tells us he's the gold standard for wisdom before Solomon. 1 Kings 4.31, Solomon was wiser than all men, wiser than Ethan the Ezraite and Haman and Kalkol and Darda, the sons of Mahol. And Solomon's fame was in all nations round about. Haman is what we call a board-certified wisdom hero. What's a wisdom hero? It's a wise man. It's somebody who fears the Lord, listens to his word, and then lives in light of the reality of God's truth. A wisdom hero is somebody who lives rightly in light of the curse. So it's somebody who lives rightly in light of the realities on the ground, both law and gospel. And Haman, the wisdom hero, understands the truth of the word, and so he understands what God has revealed about suffering. Throughout the psalm, Haman recognizes that even though God is not the author of evil, God doesn't make evil, nevertheless, this is suffering 
ordained by God. And that's why he can say, your breakers are over me. You have put me in the depths of the pit. I suffer your terrors. See, some commentators think this is a penitential psalm. Penitential psalms are psalms that say, I've sinned and I'm sorry. They think this psalm is a psalm about sin and its consequences. And they say, well, the psalmist has sinned and so now he's suffering for it. But this is where systematic theology can be really pastoral. Yes, systematic theology can have pastoral implications. Because systematic theology gives us categories for how to look at a text. And it can help us read texts by putting them in those categories. And so while it's theologically true and generally true that, yes, Haman is a sinner, and we know that left to himself, it's generally true that he deserves God's wrath, and he even says that he's palpably feeling God's wrath. Nevertheless, our text this evening never has the phrase, I've sinned and I'm sorry. Lord, forgive me. And so there's no penitence in what some people surmise is a penitential psalm. This is where systematic theology gives us the category for thinking about this as a wisdom. A psalm that sings about wisdom. This is a wisdom cry. Our text tonight tells us it was written by a, a wisdom hero. And our text mimics the exact same things another wisdom hero says. We don't have time to turn to it in its fullness tonight, but maybe you'll remember Job 19. Job 19, verses 7 through 22, tell us the exact same thing this psalm tells us. Verses 7 through 9 of Job 19, Job says God is attacking him. Verses 10 through 12, God is overwhelming him. And verses 13 through 20, his friends, his lover, and the whole wide world hate and forsake him. Wisdom hero saying the same thing as another wisdom hero. See, what Haman recognizes is that even our suffering is from the hand of God. God is the God who giveth and taketh. And I might not like it when he taketh, but I like it when he giveth. But they're both from his hand. We live in Adam's world. We live in a creation that has birth pangs, that longs to pop us out into new creation. But we're not there yet. We live in the veil of tears. We live in the not yet part. Of God's promises. We live in this, in this world. You will have tribulations. And so when some commentators miss the title, what they miss is that this is a wisdom cry. This is a cry that lives in light of the reality of God's word about the truth on the ground. This is a cry of Christian living through trials and testing and sufferings in this present evil age. And Haman the wise man knows that sometimes when we're living in Adam's world, we go through times where God withdraws the light of his countenance so that we can understand our need for sweet communion with Christ. One pastor put it this way, but flowers need night's cool darkness, the moonlight and the dew. And so Christ from one who loved it, his shining oft withdrew. And then for cause of absence, my troubled soul I scanned. But glory, shadeless, shineth in Emmanuel's land. Haman is wise because he understands what's happening. He's wise because in the midst of happening, he does the one thing that will do him any good. He cries out to God of my salvation, 
verse 1, Yahweh of my salvation. Notice that the psalmist starts with the covenant name of God. Yahweh God of my salvation. This is a Christian cry, and it is a wisdom cry because it comes from a Christian. It comes from somebody who already belongs to Jesus. This is not some sinful rant toward the skies. This is not the sin of bitterness. This is the cry of a Christian suffering the Christian life. Verse 1b, I cry out before you daily in the night. And this teaches us something about the Christian life. The crying Christian life is a life of prayer. God wants you to pray to Him in the trials He sends you because prayer is the most important part of thankfulness to Him, even in the midst of our suffering, even in the times of testing. The long, dark nights of crying under the unbearable weight of things is His wonderful plan for your life because it teaches you to pray to Him. It's part of how He's drawing you to Himself by teaching you to pray. And so Yahweh wants you to pray even when it feels like this psalmist feels, like he's praying to the ceiling. Verse 2, let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. Verse 2 is a pleading prayer about prayer. It's a prayer about prayer. And it's praying even when it feels like Yahweh doesn't hear you. And that's because in Christ he does hear you. Even in the Christian life, when it feels that you are praying to the ceiling, He hears you in Christ. In Christ, you have the right to come to the Holy of Holies and enter it like it is yours to be in ordinarily every day. And in Christ, Yahweh desires and wants to hear you. He delights to hear you. Prayer is powerful because it is the God-ordained way that He promises to bless you with strength for trials. And so the wise cry is a cry that lives with this tension. We live with a tension that God is the sovereign Lord over our sufferings, and yet he delights to hear our cry in suffering to remedy the suffering because he delights in he to hear and answer prayers from his people in the depths. Now, I want to be very careful with what I'm saying here. I'm not saying you can pray your trials away. That's not what the text says. This text is about praying and crying until you feel you can't pray and cry anymore and still being in the midst of the pit. The text is not telling us that we get to pray our sad away. And that, that goes against the well-meaning advice of a lot of well-meaning people. There are a lot of well-meaning people that want to tell you that your problems are because you haven't been spiritual enough. Brother, your depression is because you don't believe the gospel enough. Sister, have you considered all your problems are your own fault? And brother, if you just tr trusted the Lord harder, X, Y, and Z wouldn't be a problem. But those people have been around since Job the Wisdom Hero's Day and Haman's Day. Job, repent and it would be all better. Haman, we think you're writing a potential psalm or penitential psalm. Brother, stop taking your meds and do devotions harder. And Psalm 88 doesn't allow for this because Psalm 88 is a wisdom cry. It's a cry from a Christian living the Christian life. Sometimes you're going to pray and pray and pray and the thorn's still there. But my grace is your enough. My strength is perfect in your weakness. And our psalmist understands this truth. He understands that, that the things he's going through are not outside God's sovereignty. They're actually from the hand of Yahweh. Yahweh is the God of my salvation. 
who sovereignly works my trials for my salvation and for my good. And that gives me hope and belonging to him. This is a wisdom cry. And this is a wisdom cry that doesn't mince words on pain. Look at the language here. My soul is full of troubles. My life draws near to Sheol. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength. My soul has had enough of troubles. And my life draws near to Sheol. This is the cry of exhausted surrender. This is the cry of someone who's been well beyond the point of readiness to lie down and die here for a very long time. I've been dying since my youth. Verse 4, I'm like a man with no strength. The word here is not your generic word for man. The word here is the word for mighty man of valor, strong man. And so as our psalmist cries to the Lord, he cries out pitifully, I'm a strong man with no strength. Everything I thought I had in me is gone and drained. And it is over. My eye is dim with sorrow. The idea here is that he's so overwhelmed, his eyes are glazed and hollow. You've seen these people. You've probably been these people. This is the cry of somebody who wakes up every day not sure why they're up. This is the cry of someone whose whole being is spent and used up, whose, whose eyes can't twinkle anymore, can't look at you and express anything anymore. This is the cry of somebody who has been running on fumes for a while. And who has nothing in the tank? This is a wisdom cry. And our psalmist is going through this cycle of grief and pain where he's beginning to talk about the dead people. He's at the point where he's in the deepest pit he can imagine, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they're cut off from your hand. You've put me in the depths of the pit. In the regions dark and deep, your wrath lies heavy on me. You overwhelm me with all your waves. He goes on to say, I'm shut in so that I cannot get out. And I'm headed for the land of the dead. And as he, as he talks about the land of the dead, he is so exhausted and hurt and overwhelmed that he starts to say things he knows aren't true. God does not forget the dead. They are not cut off from his hand. But in the midst of grief, the psalmist is slipping. He's saying things he knows aren't true because he's losing his grip on it. And one lesson for us to remember here is that in the depths of the pit, it is not your hold on Yahweh and his truth that sustains you. It's his hold on you. It's not your faithfulness to believe something. It's his faithfulness to hold you. And when everything is conspiring around you, when everything is battering you, it is not even our Reformed theology that saves us. It is the God of Reformed theology, the God who holds us and preserves us and loves us without condition and pursues us, though we run far from him. So even when it seems like he is distant, even when it seems like he's hiding and not answering and only coming in wrath, the truth is that this is not the case. It's his hold on you that will preserve you even as he suffers you. And even when this is the case for the psalmist, even this, though this is what he's feeling like, the reality is God's Holy Spirit is indwelling him. And he's giving this no-strength man the strength to cry out. We would not have the strength to pray 
if the Spirit were not already praying for us with groans we don't understand. All right, so that's the longer of the two points. Now, secondly, this is a covenant cry. Not only is this a wisdom cry, this is a covenant cry. This is a cry to Yahweh of my salvation. Before the bitter end in verse 18, we have verse 13. To you, O Lord, I call. This is again a call back to verse 1. Yahweh of my salvation. This is a cry to the covenant God. As the psalmist asks all these despairing questions and as he cries out in the pain of it all, he is doing so on the, verse, the basis of verses 1 and verse, verses 1 and 13. Verse 1 and 13. He is pleading the covenant promises of our faithful covenant God. Yahweh keeps promises and he keeps his promises and he has promised to help and save his people. Yahweh promises that the world is the stage where he will unfold the great mystery of his drama of mercy toward his own. And so the subtle undertone of what Heman, Heman is crying here is he's saying, Lord, keep your promises. As Haman cries out in verses 10 through 12 about whether Yahweh will be praised from the grave, he's really referencing our call to worship this evening. The last part of the psalm that is our call to worship is, What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? And he is pleading the answer that David got, which is, O Lord, my God, I cried for help, and you healed me. Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol, and you restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. So Haman's saying, I'm going down to Sheol, but your promise is you will not abandon my soul there in Sheol. You won't let your Holy One see corruption. And so Haman is saying, Lord, you have promised me mercy. You've promised me steadfast love. You have promised me you're the God of my salvation. And so I'm calling out to the God of promise in the midst of the pit. The psalm that comes after this psalm is Psalm 89, and Psalm 89 is often known as the Song of the Covenant. But Psalm 88 is the cry of the covenant. It is the cry of the everyday life of the covenant in the midst of the pit. And the reason we can sing the steadfast love of Yahweh forever in Psalm 89 is because he's the God who keeps his promises that we cry and cling to. In Psalm 88, we can cry to him and trust him in the depths because he never breaks his promises. And so in the midst of unbearable agony, Haman pleads and cries out the promises of the covenant God who hears. And that's because Yahweh cannot break his word. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He cannot leave you in the pit. He will not because he promised he will not. This is a covenant cry. And Haman can make this cry because by faith he is looking to Christ. Haman is looking forward by faith to Christ. And as he's looking toward Christ, he's actually painting a picture of Christ for us. Christ, the beloved Son of God, whom the Father sent to take on our flesh so that he could become the man of sorrows, who lived a life of weeping. My favorite memory verse, Jesus wept. And surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. 
Christ is the real one that this, that this text is looking toward. Haman is looking forward to the one who will actually bear the full weight of the crushing wrath of God so that even though we deserve Psalm 88, and this is the state we deserve, we will never truly endure it. Jesus drank all the true breakers of Yahweh, all the true waves that overwhelmed him, the overwhelming wrath of the Father because that is the cup that the Father poured for the Son. Haman was looking forward to the one whose soul will be sorrowful even unto death. As Haman stretches toward the sky, his two palms. That's a better translation there. I stretch to you my two palms. As he stretches them up in anguish, he is looking forward to the one whose two palms will be stretched out and mangled for you as they are nailed to the cross that holds him so that he can cry and have nobody to pity him and find no one to comfort him. See, Haman is looking forward to the cry of Christ on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we will never be forsaken. Haman is looking forward to the one who will become an abomination to his friends. There was no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. And he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised. We esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Haman was looking forward to the Christ whose friends all ran away from him in the garden. Remember the story in Mark, the young man who runs naked out of the garden so that he can get out of there fast enough to be away from Jesus. Haman is looking forward to the one whose only friend will be the darkness in the middle of the day as the sky is robbed of its light and darkness overcomes the day as God removes all providential care from his son and comes to him only in wrath for real and surrounds and floods and crushes him for you and me. As Haman cries that he is the no-strength strong man headed for Sheol, he is looking forward to the strong man of heaven who will be spent and poured out for you and laid in a grave with the wicked at his death. Haman knows his Heidelberg. What we confess tonight, we confess he descended into hell to assure me during attacks of deepest dread and temptation that Christ my Lord, by suffering unspeakable anguish, pain, and terror of soul before the cross and after, also, or during the cross and also earlier, has delivered me from true hellish anguish and torment. So what's the point? The point is this. Even though Psalm 88 may be our lived experience, as the psychologists tell us, as even though Psalm 88 may be what we feel, our story does not end there. Because that ending, the ending of Psalm 88, ended in Christ. There may be seasons where it feels like God has turned his face from you. And seasons where it feels like he only comes to you in wrath, it may feel like you're praying to the ceiling. It may feel like you're completely empty and sinking in a bottomless pit. And it may feel like that for a very long time. There may be long seasons in this present evil age where Psalm 88 
is the overwhelming cry of your heart. But in Christ, God has sent his son to a hell worse than Psalm 88 so that he could raise you to new creation. In Christ, God does not treat you with the wrath your sins deserve. He deals with you in mercy. And in Christ, Psalm 88 is not your song forever. It's your song right now, but it's not your song forever because the covenant God of this psalm is your God. In Christ, Yahweh is the God of your salvation, and he is never, ever going to abandon you and leave you in the pit. Your story does not end in the veil of tears. It does not end in Sheol. Your story ends with, I will dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. In Christ, Yahweh is yours, you are his, and there is no pit where his love for you is not deeper still. Amen. Thank you for subscribing and listening to our podcast. We hope and pray that our sermons encourage you as you sojourn on your Christian walk. If you have any questions about our church, please contact our pastor through our webpage, urcbelgrade.com. That is urcbelgrade.com. We also have many sermon series archived and available for download on our website, urcbelgrade.com. Until we meet again, may the Lord's blessing and peace be upon you.